There are three big problems with used vehicle appraisals. One, manually sifting through comp vehicles. Two, old book values and ghost comps. Three, no recon visibility. You can solve them all with AutoVision, launching in the Reynolds & Reynolds booth at NADA. Learn more at reyrey.com slash used dash cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y dot -E com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, February 1st, 2024. I'm Jake Neer in Detroit, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Lithia closes a mega deal to buy Pendragon in the UK. Toyota and Honda sales rebounds roll on, while Hyundai and Kia slip. And Volvo will stop funding Polestar and may hand its stake to its parent company. Plus, Americans are becoming more polarized when it comes to EVs. Political consultant Mike Murphy joins the show to talk about how automakers and retailers can reframe the conversation and win more buyers. It's the alienated buyers who don't know whether or not to focus on the product attributes, fast, quiet, fun to drive. That's the messaging that has to get out there. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. It's a done deal. Lithia has closed on its nearly $500 million purchase of UK retail group Pendragon. The deal just about completes Lithia's expansion into Britain and also puts the Medford, Oregon group in the dealership management system business. The deal also finalizes the next chapter for Pendragon. In the fall, it saw back-and-forth acquisition interest from not only Lithia, but two of its U.S. public auto retail rivals. The closing followed approvals by the U.K. Competition and Markets Authority and Financial Conduct Authority. Lithia acquired Pendragon's 160 stores, most of which are new car dealerships. It also gets Pendragon's fleet business and a piece of its DMS company, Pinewood. The company says the acquisition will bring Lithia $4.5 billion in annual revenue. It's the first of the month, which means we've got the first U.S. sales results for you. Toyota says sales rose 23% in January to about 166000 Car sales were up 36%, and light trucks rose 18%. Honda reports a 10% rise in January. It says a 13% increase at the Honda division offset a 9% decline at Acura. That means the luxury brand snapped a 12-month streak of gains. Honda brand sales have now advanced 11 straight months year over year. Hyundai's January sales fell more than 8.5% in January, snapping a streak of 17 consecutive monthly gains. Two of Hyundai's core car models, Elantra and Sonata, saw declines of 20% or more last month. Sales slipped 1.7% at Kia. It's the second consecutive monthly decline year over year. Record January SUV sales were offset by sharply lower car deliveries, thanks in large part to the discontinued Rio. Mazda set a January sales record. It says U.S. deliveries jumped 32%, for its third straight monthly gain. 
We expect Subaru to report later today, followed by Ford and Volvo on Friday. Other automakers report U.S. sales on a quarterly basis, if at all. Speaking of Volvo, the automaker says it will stop funding EV startup Polestar. It plans to transfer responsibility for the brand to China's Geely, which is Volvo's majority shareholder. Volvo owns about 48% of Polestar shares. Analysts have criticized Volvo over the stake, saying it's a drag on the automaker's resources. Geely is preparing to provide more funding to Polestar as part of a potential redistribution of shares to relieve pressure on Volvo. Geely says it will fully support Polestar as an independent brand, and the company says the move will not affect its 79% holding in Volvo. EV startup Fisker says it has signed its first U.S. dealer partnership. Fisker says it made the agreement with Mills Automotive Group of North Carolina. The automaker says the Mills Group intends to open three Fisker sales locations. The full EV brand announced in early January that it was shifting from direct sales to franchise dealers in the U.S. and Europe to grow more quickly. Fisker hopes to recruit more retailers here in Las Vegas this week at the NADA show. And as you may have already heard, the Federal Reserve is leaving interest rates unchanged. But it took a major step toward lowering them in the coming months during its meeting on Wednesday. It released a policy statement that tempered inflation concerns with other risks to the economy and dropped a longstanding reference to possible further hikes in borrowing costs. And those are today's headlines. Coming up, political consultant Mike Murphy joins the show to talk about how political EVs have become in the U.S., and how the industry can win back skeptical customers. That's next on Daily Drive. Data is the backbone of your used vehicle department. You need it to find accurate comp sets and to best understand your market in order to make precise appraisal and pricing decisions. But it feels like you're always struggling to get the information you need. How much time do you spend sifting through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? Do you frequently make manual adjustments to pricing recommendations? Reynolds' newest inventory management solution, AutoVision, can help. AJ McGowan, president and founder of AutoVision, explains how. If you look at the way that cars are traditionally priced, you know, you can get down to specifics in terms of, you know, what zip code is it in and, you know, what options does it have on it? And, you know, some of those sorts of things. Um, but the thing that's never really taken into account um, is, you know, that dealer's, you know, specific view of the market. Our goal with AutoVision was to use, you know, technology that's available now to do real-time processing, which allows dealers to really set the their view of the market into AutoVision. And then we use our tools to analyze the data that's there and show them this is what this vehicle is worth to you. AutoVision can help you run your used vehicle department with precise comp sets, real-time inventory data, and reconditioning insights. Visit reyrey.com slash used dash cars to find out more. That's reyrey.com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jake Neer with Kellen Walker. Automakers have a lot to contend with in the electrification age. We talk a lot on the show about charging infrastructure, battery production, and affordability. But there's another troubling phenomenon that's growing in the U.S. market, 
efforts to make EVs a political wedge issue. Mike Murphy is a Republican political consultant who has been trying to quantify the effects of that polarization around EVs. He spoke with Jamie about what he's found and how he thinks the industry can counteract those trends. Mike Murphy, welcome to Daily Drive. Well, thank you, man. I'm psyched to be here. You just published some research on a topic that I think a lot of people in the industry sensed was brewing, but it wasn't really quantified, the politicization of EVs and sort of the emergence of kind of powerfully partisan viewpoints on electric vehicles. So what's going on? Well, it's fascinating. You know, I'm a political consultant, so I looked at it that way and went out and did a poll of 600 people, voters. We took kind of two thirds of the electorate. We did $50,000 a year household income and up. And we asked them about car brands and cars and electric vehicles and also their party affiliation. And what we found was, is when you ask about American car brands, you know, Republicans, Democrats are both about the same. You ask about brands like the Ford Motor Company, Republicans and Democrats, both are favorable. They like Ford a lot. They, they say good things. You ask them about electric only car brands, they explode into two different worlds. The Democrats, by 15 points, rate them more favorable than unfavorable electric car brands. Republicans give them a 9% favorable rating and a 49% unfavorable rating. 40 points underwater. There's a 55-point gulf on only electric car brands. There's a little bit on Japanese brands, but nothing compared to this over EVs. And the reason is we have a lot of data. You can see some of it at uh, evpolitics.org because we're trying to get some IP out to the industry to help them sell better. They're not cars, they're political statements. So some people love them for that. Then you get the Newtonian, don't like them because they've got to be Biden mobiles. So we've lost the vehicle part of electric vehicles in the marketplace. And it's the third problem. You got range anxiety, charging anxiety, that stuff. You got price, which is a barrier all over our polling. We all know that. But this third red wall which is I'm making a political statement and I don't like it. I mean, we ask people what their friends would think. We, we got a lot of good data here and it, it's a huge gulf because they're no longer about vehicles to the Republican world. They're a statement they don't want to make about the environment. One of the headline numbers was, you know, 74% of Democrats are open to EVs compared with 56% of Republicans. But what was interesting to me was going down the next level. Uh, there are a lot of people, more than a third in each party, who said eh, they, they might buy one when the problems are worked out and prices are lower. Right. But right now, the difference is stark. 39% of Democrats said they're seriously interested in buying an EV in the next year or two compared with only 17% of Republicans. Right. No. And 44% of Republicans say we're never buying EV, at least now. So, I mean, if I had a CMO of one of the, the big North American or German or Japanese companies, I would say, you know, what's happened is it's, it's so much no longer about the vehicle. I mean, we ask people, if you bought an EV, what would your best friends and relatives think about that? Is it a smart move? 61% of Democrats thought, yeah, my friends will think it's a smart move. 19% of Republicans said that. And the other thing we learned is the peer-to-peer stuff is so important. If No matter what party you are, if you have friends or relatives that own an EV, you do much better on every EV test because otherwise it's a spooky liberal monster out there. So I think the other big lesson is if you're a voter and we ask people, is climate change a really serious thing or is it overhyped by the media? And regardless of where you think, we're you know trying to move iron here. The 45% that think it's overhyped are very anti-EV because they see it through only that lens. They don't see the vehicle attributes. They like a lot of the same stuff, no gas. I mean, the, the products are attractive, but 
the environmental thing is kind of spent. I'm all for that. I drive an EV. I'm a nut for them. But when it's marketed as an environmental statement, you polarize it. And right now, if you're a kid, you know, young buyer and you care about the environment, it's a majority of voters, you want an EV. The question is, can you afford one? So a marketing dollar spent on green stuff is a wasted dollar because that battle is won. They know. Those buyers know. It's the alienated buyers who don't know whether or not to focus on the product attributes, fast, quiet, fun to drive. That's the messaging that has to get out there. And that's what we're pushing at evpolitics.org. We're trying to present this data to the industry to help market better because EVs are important. It's the future. There was a big gap in responses to the statement, EVs are the future and one day I'll probably drive one. I wonder if some of that also reflects difference in ages between the parties. Is is that still yeah. a thing? Yeah. we The Republicans... Uh, are older, which is good news for the Democrats because young voters have this nasty trick of turning into all voters over time. But that battle is a longer term battle. You know, in that question, EVs are the future and one day I'll probably drive one. Do you agree or disagree? One of the coolest numbers in that is among people who say their biggest fear about an EV is limited range and charging anxiety. 75% of them still agree with that statement because they know it'll get worked out. They're just waiting. There's confidence it'll get better. Same thing on price. So, you know, the future data here shows open minds, but, you know, nobody walks into a car store and the first thing the, uh, the salesman says, will you fill out this form on your political opinions? And then we'll try <laughs> to alienate you and then I'll load you into the new Chevy Cruze. You know, that's not how I grew up around the industry in Detroit. So back to vehicles, back to vehicle attributes. That's how you crack the Republican EV thing. And the other thing you do is you don't let it be a pinata in the election. And that's some we're working on that at EV politics. Yeah, it always uh, these kinds of issues always make me think of Michael Jordan, right? The uh, the NBA legend and Nike pitchman, and people wanted him to get more involved in politics. And his uh, you know standard answer was like, or at least the one time off the cuff was, uh, "Hey, Republicans buy shoes too, right? The car dealers want to sell yeah. to everybody." Right, right. I mean, if I were Ford, I'd take some of those Lightnings that are unsold or selling, but not what they hoped. I'd zip code pick. 70 or 80 dealerships in the right area. And I, I'd flush the inventory out there and let people get them on a cheap rental deal for 90 days just to play with them. Because our data is full of it. If you've tasted it, you're more interested. That's how you break the wall down. I'm bullish on the future here, but it's the messaging has to change. The old original hybrid green messaging is spent. Those buyers know all about that. They don't need to be told. It's the other half of the market, and it is half the market. You know, it's not a small number we're talking about here, particularly as you move the income up to 60 or 70 grand household. You're in redland politically, and you, you really don't want them to look at your car as a tobacco company. I can't let you go without discussing the paradox of Elon Musk, uh, the CEO of Tesla, yeah. chairman of SpaceX, and owner of X, the micro-publisher formerly known as Twitter. He's the biggest seller of EVs in the U.S., one of the biggest proponents of EVs in the world. But the views on him are like flipped from uh, the regular EVs. The likely Trump voters think highly of him, while likely Biden voters do not. What's going on there? Yeah, it's amazing. For the original EV Henry Ford, who did so much, he's now Elon 2.0. We ask people, is Elon Musk, agree or disagree, a good ambassador for electric vehicles? Democrats said 34 yes, 66 no. They hate him. On the other hand, Republicans who are more EV skeptical and hostile, 61% say, yeah, he's a great ambassador. So on one hand, Elon has become a nightmare for the Tesla marketing people. On the other, and you see bumper stickers, I bought this Tesla before Elon or whatever. 
On the other hand, he could be the Nixon to China guy, the guy to go open some minds on the Republican side because they like him. It, it's a fascinating new reverse polarization. And uh, Elon's right right in the middle of it. People who think climate change is a serious problem, they rate Elon 14% mostly favorable, 44 30 points the other way, mostly unfavorable. People who think climate change is overhyped, Elon gets a 38 favorable and only a 13 unfavorable. So, you know, you can kind of look at it either way, but he ain't the original Elon no more. I'll tell you that. It's all over the data. But there could be, again, an asset in this. Yeah, it's interesting because, as to use your rubric there, you know, Elon 1.0 was a guy who benefited from, you know, government largesse and was really yeah. a huge vocal advocate for fighting climate change. And, and, right. and, now, right. and those aren't and now, the things that stick in people's heads anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, now they see him as a pro-wrestling villain. By the way, a funny thing in the data is we ask people what they liked. The subsidies do equally well with Republicans and Democrats. <laughs> so the right. Republicans will complain about it, but they're happy to take the check from the government. Price is one of the huge burdens, right? You can save money on gas, but it does cost more upfront, uh, even for like-for-like yeah. like vehicles. And that's going to be one of the challenges that hopefully will get solved over time. I mean, is there is it your sense that maybe when the economics even out better, that the politics can fade away from the EV discussion? Yeah, I think if the industry starts marketing the vehicles and not the luxury opinions, that'll help. I think as the prices come down, we know price always works. If you can get price and quality you know, in the auto business, you're, you're going to do well. The specter, of course, is the Chinese come in and, and eat the entire market, which is uh, somebody who believes in our manufacturing base and somebody who grew up in Detroit. I don't want. But, but price will do it. The other big thing, this is where the government ought to come in. This Nevi program, which has some good in it, is also a bit of a medium disaster simply because the states aren't spending the money. You know, it's everything you'd imagine from government. What they missed is multifamily housing. You have got to be able to put level two overnight chargers into apartment buildings. And, and we have a blog post on what Illinois did, which is they require you when you build a new one to lay the conduit because it's a lot cheaper to do it when you build than to try to retrofit. But it's the younger voters who are want EVs as prices come down and they get older and hopefully their income rises will buy them. They're heavily in apartments and condos. Otherwise, you pile them up at the D.C. fast charges, which is problematical. So the government needs to really start thinking about level two at work and level two in multifamily. And if the prices come down from the industry which and the, the range anxiety is overcome, which people in the survey are very confident will happen, the, the change will come. And as the products get better, you know, I get emails now from when we launched this thing, you know, I'm a Republican or I'm a Trump voter. I'm a, I'm a hardcore and I drive a Tesla and, you know, I get all this crap from my friends, but I love it. So we started selling EV Republican hats on our website just as a visibility thing. We don't make any real money on it and they're moving pretty quick. So they're already out there, you know, and I think it can grow, but the industry has got to do its part on the marketing, which has to evolve. They're, they're still selling like it was seven years ago, new world. And you don't want a bonfire on the Republican side making these things politically unacceptable to half the market. You're self-defeating. Mike Murphy is a Republican campaign strategist and co-host of the Hacks on Tap podcast. Mike, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you, man. Great to be here. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jake Neer, in for Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to automotive news journalists John Irwin, David Phillips, and Lawrence Iliff for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on electrification, 
monthly sales results, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for more news and conversations from the NADA show in Las Vegas. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.